you this morning. I invite you to turn with me to Zechariah chapter 5. The passage is also included in the bulletin. As you're turning there, let me just take a quick moment to remind you of the setting. The Lord has returned His people from exile in Babylon. And the people have been back in Jerusalem now for, for 20 years. But they've been floundering. They've been floundering to do the thing which the Lord has called them to do, which is to reestablish themselves in this city as God's people. And so He has now sent two prophets with His Word. Haggai was sent with a message calling the people to rebuild God's temple. Zechariah, on the other hand, was sent with a message to rebuild God's people. The difference is important for us this day. And so in the course of Zechariah, he has presented to us a, a series of visions that were given to Zechariah in the night. The most recent two visions that we saw presented beautifully and vividly a picture of God's grace in restoring worship and restoring His presence. Today's vision speaks to God's holiness. And his call for the people of God to be a holy people unto the Lord. Let us pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of this word. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come to this text, I ask ask that you would give us clarity as to the vision that you've given us and that you would give us conviction as to its meaning. But... Lord God, in the conviction, would you bring us to the comfort of Jesus Christ? Do this, we pray, in His name. Amen. Friends, we got, there's two visions in Zechariah chapter 5. I'm going to begin with reading the first vision, the vision of the flying scroll. This is verses 1 through 4. And this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You cannot drive down the interstate in our state uh, any distance 
without noticing a preponderance of billboards, you'll see Alexander Shinara <laughs> everywhere you look. Now, I can't speak to how good of an attorney he is, but he's a master marketer because he understands the visual impact of these billboards and how attention-grabbing they can be. It's not just Shinara. Any business that wants to get your attention and to then influence your behavior is going to be wise to consider the use of billboards. These companies that put the billboards up or are smart. They know the traffic counts on the interstates and in the cities. They know where the right, uh, the right traffic counts are. They know where to place these billboards so that they can be located to get the maximum views. They know how to size them and write on them so that they are clear and easy to see and understand. But what if? What if those billboards were not meant to appeal to our desires, driving our consumeristic purchases, but what if instead those billboards were meant to peer into the depths of our soul? If so, those billboards might be more akin to what we see in this passage in terms of the flying scroll. I, I know, it's a bit of an odd vision. That, that Zechariah gives us these, these odd visions, uh, but it's effective. So let's try and understand it. Uh, beginning with just its sheer size, we read... Uh, 10 cubits by 20 cubits, and we wonder what that means. But let me translate. This scroll is about 15 feet by 30 feet, or roughly the size of a billboard. But as opposed to the billboard that is fixed beside the interstate, this scroll is flying to us. Is flying to us demanding that we engage with the words written upon it. Now, the imagery of a scroll is used elsewhere, uh, namely in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, to speak to a covenant document that carries with it the authority of God. If you look back to Exodus covenant document carrying with it the authority of God was written on the front and on the back containing the law of God now come back to this scroll flying to us with writing on the front and on the back on one side we see a reference to the eighth commandment thou shalt not steal on the other side, a reference to the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain, swearing falsely by His name. Together we see on this scroll a call to love God, 
and to love neighbor. The angel of the Lord who has been Zechariah's guide through these visions tells him this scroll is the curse that is flying out over the face of the land. So in what sense are we to understand this scroll as a curse, as the curse? I spoke of a covenant document. Covenant defines a relationship. And within that relationship, marked by covenant, there are stipulations and commands that that indicate how that covenantal relationship will be played out. Think marriage. In marriage, we come together out of love, and out of love we commit to one another, but within that bond of marriage, there are a certain set of written and unwritten stipulations, laws, if you will, that would, that would speak to how the relationship will exist. Maybe, let me give you another example. In addition to marriage, there's a covenantal relationship in our families, in our parenting. Recently, uh, I shouldn't say recently, some point in the past, um, my wise wife uh, left a scroll of sorts above our kids' toilet, letting them know the stipulations that would rule the way the relationship would be played out. And on that covenant document, there were a set of blessings and curses that would go along with obedience or disobedience to the covenant document. Loving relationship centered it. But within that relationship, there was an expectation of obedience. With God's covenant, with His people, it's not a document written over a toilet, but it is His law. Now, we'll see in a moment that the relationship that we have with the covenant giver determines how that curse will be applied. It's very important, and we'll come back to it. But for now, I want to emphasize something else about this covenant document that is the very law of God. The covenant that God entered into Uh, with His people, is not merely a covenant with individuals. It's not merely a covenant with individuals, but it is a covenant with a people. Collective. So in Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will show a series of blessings and curses that will accompany either obedience to or disobedience from these Uh, This covenant law and those blessings and curses are meant for the people of God. It's the context of the curse that we read about in Zechariah chapter 5. So understand that the law itself is not the curse. Understand? It's our disobedience to the law that brings about the curse. But there's a problem. Because all 
or disobedience. None are righteous, no, not one. All of us break the law of God, and so therefore we have a big problem in terms of this curse. The scroll is flying about in plain view of all, engaging all, and it brings about the curse of God because it reveals the sin that exists in our heart. So notice, notice how the curse is played out when this sin is revealed. In the text that I just read for you, it said that the covenant breakers will be cleaned out. How will they be cleaned out? Well, with that in mind, we go to the second vision, a vision connected to the first. It is the vision of a woman in a basket Begin it picking up in verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted. And there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Once again, it's a vivid image. And once again, the vivid image is ripe with meaning. So let's try and understand the meaning and its connectedness to the first vision so we can understand how to apply it to our lives. We'll start with the basket you understand what a basket is. But let's dig a little deeper. If you're reading from an ESV Bible, you might notice a footnote. The footnote would take you down to the bottom of the page, and at the bottom of the page you would see that in the Hebrew this word is a, refers to a particular kind of basket, an ephah. Now if you're reading an NASB Bible, it just uses the word ephah. Instead of basket. So what in the world is an ephah? (laughs) Well, the footnote would also go on to tell you that an ephah is a unit of measure. About three-fifths of a bushel. Think of a giant measuring cup. Okay? This basket was meant to measure quantities. It was used in commerce. It has commercial implications. And so, as this woman is carried off in a big measuring cup, we might go to Ezekiel 45 where the Lord admonishes His people to use a just ephah. In other words, if you are telling someone that you are selling them an ephah of wheat, sell an ephah of wheat. Do not sell something less and deceive them. 
commercial implications of the ephah give us some clue as to what is going on in this image, but let's continue by considering the woman. No, Zechariah or the Bible is not picking on women. Think back to our time in Proverbs. Uh, we saw Lady Folly as a personification of foolishness. Here, we see Lady Wickedness as a personification of personal face on the wickedness of the people. This wickedness is not a single account of sin, but rather a hardened persistence in sin. Lady wickedness is not referring to the messy, broken, repentant sinner. Wickedness, lady wickedness, is personifying those who consciously choose sin. Personifies the willful sinner. Now put them together. Lady wickedness plus the ephah points us to worldliness in our dealings with others. Sinfully world, sin, worldliness that is sinful. Try that. God's telling His people here, I'm calling you to be different. I'm setting you apart from the world. I am holy. You are to be my holy covenant people. And your persistence in sin is turning Jerusalem into Babylon. So, two more women, representing angels, if you will, would come with wings like a stork and carry the basket, the tainted basket containing wickedness away to Shinar. Why Shinar? Nothing is accidental in this vision. Shinar is in Babylon, but it is a specific place in Babylon. You last saw Shinar in Genesis 11. You may know it not as Shinar, but as Babel, the place where the people abandoned obedience and sought to build a temple to self, the Tower of Babel. It's the place where the world follows the principles of self. Or in other words, the world follows the principles of wickedness. And do not miss this. The last glimpse that we get of lady wickedness is of her trying to peek out, trying to escape this basket. But the angels take a leaden lid a lid made out of lead, and shove her back in. There will be no escape from the judgment that is to come. This is the vision and its basic meaning that the Lord our God is revealing sin and removing sin. 
But for us to apply it to ourselves, there's still some work that we need to do. Do you remember what we talked about in the vision of the flying scroll that the Lord said He would clean out the sin? Zechariah's prophecy is meant to build the people of God, the collective people. They are to be a collective people set apart for the Lord. We are to be a collective people set apart for the Lord as He is holy. We are to be holy, a holy people. And these visions give us a picture of what the Lord is accomplishing in us. We live in an individualistic society. And because we live in an individualistic society, it is hard for us to grasp what is going on in these visions because it's hard for us to grasp the concept that we are a people. Think about it. You don't want anybody telling you what to do, do you? You're fine as long as... You're fine as long as you're left alone and no one is infringing upon your individual liberties. I know we're starting to preach some, but the Word is preaching to us here. And you and I have applied this individualistic mindset to every area of our lives, including and maybe especially our spiritual lives. It is this Jesus and me movement. Don't bother me. I've got my relationship with Jesus. But do you know what? That is not biblical. It's not biblical. Because in Scripture throughout, we read that when by God's grace through Jesus Christ, He reconciles us to Himself, He also reconciles us to one another. So that if we are united... Father, through the Son, we are united to one another through the Son. We are a people. And that is why we take vows of membership. That's why we stand before the Lord and vow that we will endeavor to be a people. One implication of this truth is that our sin does not merely impact us. Our sin impacts the whole. It is a tenet of covenant theology that is not well appreciated today, if not outright rejected But it helps us understand what is going on in this text and why wickedness was removed from Jerusalem and taken to Shinar, to the place of self. These visions remind us that God accomplishes His purposes. And He is accomplishing His purposes one way in the now between Jesus' first coming and second coming, and He will accomplish His purposes in another way. And then not yet, when Jesus returns. Let's start 
in the now. Through these visions, through all of the word, the Lord our God is graciously calling us as individuals to recognize our sin and to live a life of repentance. Friends, there is good news in the Scripture. It is the Gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning it is good news because the curse that should rightly be applied to all of us does not need to be poured out on you. Wickedness, Lady Wickedness was hardened in her sin and she received the just punishment for her sin for God's people. The point of these visions is to bring about an awareness of sin so that that awareness of sin would lead to brokenness and repentance. It begins with awareness. Awareness for us as individuals, awareness for us as a collective body. And so, might we try and apply this text in a way that connects our individual sin struggles to the reality of the whole? I asked you to listen to the vows that were read earlier, did you? I asked you to remember your own vows, did you? The last vow that I asked was this. Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and its peace? Again, this is crucial to covenant theology and covenant community, yet it might be the vow that we struggle with the most. Are you studying peace? Are you trying to live in peace with your neighbor, especially that one that you disagree with? Are you seeking to love one another in such a way that you listen to one another? In such a way that you respect one another? In such a way that you speak with one another without condemning the other? Are we seeking to be reconciled when we have differences? Are we talking to one another rather than about one another? Are we gracious to one another? Are we slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen? This is so central to the call of the church and so central to the heart of this church that we have identified it as one of our core values, the core value of peace. And so are you studying the peace of the church, seeking to live at peace with your neighbors, or are you seeking to satisfy self? Think about the specific dividing issues that we have experienced this year. They have been legion. Began with the coronavirus and our response to it and how we address it in relation to one another. We've re-experienced the racial divide in our country and been forced to look deeply in our own hearts at how we experience the beauty of diversity that our God has created. And guess what? 
we've got an election season coming. And the Lord our God is not limited to a particular political party. The opportunities for disunity and conflict within our body abound, but they pale in comparison to the one who unites us. So are you seeking peace with your neighbor? And I I caution you on this, a reality that has landed heavily with me. As I ask these questions, please resist the temptation to think in your mind, I hope that person is listening. I hope that person hears. Friends, I've been in this text all week, and over the course of this weekend, it has landed so heavily on me that it has brought me to tears that I have been prepared to preach to you. But in my own heart, in subtle ways, to deal with my own temptation to throw rocks instead of listen. This is not meant for the other person. It is meant for you and for me. And we need to also hear this because some of us are more conditioned to listen to this message through the lens of political rhetoric than the Word. Some of us are tempted to hear this as a call to political correctness, but brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. And if you are sitting here thinking that this is a call to political correctness, then you're listening through the lens of political rhetoric rather than the call to covenant theology and to be a covenant people. So let us consider our own hearts. Let us recognize that we all, every one of us, share in this sin struggle. It is a poison that infects the whole, that disrupts the people of God and must be, will be cleaned out. There are two sins in this text. Theft and taking the name of the Lord in vain. And both of them are me-focused sins that insist on self and breed disunity. And this vision sends them to the place of self, to babble. But this is where we need to see The Lord cleans out differently in the now than He does in the not yet. In the now, the Lord makes provision for the cleanliness of His covenant people by cleaning the individual. The scroll reveals sin in all. And it condemns, but who will it condemn? For the child of God who is responding to this text through brokenness and repentance, the punishment of sin, the curse of the sin has been transferred to another. Praise the Lord. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, on the tree, on the cross. Jesus Christ bore the curse of sin for His own. For the repentant, for the believer in Jesus Christ, judgment has been transferred. In the now, praise be to God, Jesus has cleansed His people from His sin. Jesus is our holiness. He calls His individuals and His people to holiness. As we humble ourselves through repentance and run to Jesus.
that is the way in the now. That He makes a provision for cleansing of the whole, yet the wicked persist. The wicked will not repent. And sadly, they remain a poison within the body, but Jesus will fully and finally cleanse His community of sin in the not yet. Lady wickedness was carried to Shinar, to Babylon. We see her picture again in Revelation 17, 18, and 19. Friends, We've got to understand this text in that context. And we come in Revelation 19 to read these words in verses 1 and 2. After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The curse will be poured out on the persistent covenant breakers for all eternity. There will be an eternal torment that those who are outside of Christ will experience. And in that day, the Lamb who was slain will become the judge. He will cast her out into the outer darkness, into the eternal punishment, and though she may try to escape, the leaden lid will be placed on top. It will not be broken. And in that day, all sin will be removed fully and finally so that the people made holy by the blood of the Lamb will then be able to enjoy His presence for all eternity unhindered by sin, their own and the sin of the wicked. This vision is given to us of the Lord building up His people. And in this vision, He tells us that His kingdom is incompatible with sin. So as His kingdom people, we must be radically committed to holiness. If our sin has not been dealt with before judgment, it will be on that day. And the leaden lid will be closed. Friends, it is an undeniable fact of our human condition that we share in the reality of our sin, but it is another undeniable fact of the biblical record that our God will deal with sin. So where do you stand? Humble and broken, clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ? Or hardened and rebellious? Either way, the Lord will cleanse His people. Lord God, this is Your Word. And every bit of it isn't true. Bring conviction and bring comfort, I pray. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.